Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Oh man, we serve a powerful God, right? Yeah, oh man, I'm excited today. Um, And so that's kind of what happens. Um, So I love preaching. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world. Um, Another thing I really love is a a week when I don't preach. And so I know that sounds contradictory. Um, It's just good having a week off. And so I was uh, very pleased, um, enjoyed Gordon's time out here, um, enjoyed his sermon and just spending time with him and praying with him. But the, the good part about that, and I guess the bad part is, is I get, you know, midweek this week, I'm ready to preach again. I feel like, whoa, I, my rhythms are off. I'm supposed to be preaching. And so, yeah, this morning, I, I'm, I'm ready to go this morning as we're going to talk about the light and the darkness. The light and the darkness. What's the difference between the light and darkness? What's the difference between light and darkness? Is it merely a contrast in illumination? Is it the difference between day and night? Is one scarier than the other? Yes, right? Some of us, yeah, one of them is definitely scarier. You know, for other, others of us, it probably conjures up images of the struggle between good and evil. You know, heroes and villains, right? Um, right and wrong. Um, freedom, socialism. I mean, you could just, you could, there, there's this drastic difference that I think most of us think about. But is there more to it than that? Is there more to it than the electricity in these lights and sunlight that, that, that we feel and experience? Is darkness more than just the absence of light? So what I want us to see this morning is that there is a difference between light and darkness. And that difference is life and death itself. So light and life and darkness and death. And I just stared into this light. I don't recommend that to anybody. (laughs) So let me pray for us before we get started. Uh, Lord God, you are a mighty God, a a strong, wonderful God. And um, I ask as we go through your word um, that we are blessed by it, that you are honored um, by our handling of it and that by your powerful Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us, convict us, um, help us grow in holiness, Lord, and a love for you, Lord. May uh, the name of Jesus be lifted up and honored um, from us this morning, Lord. I just thank you for everybody who's here, Lord God. Amen. And so our sermon today is going to be called Jesus Is, right? This is a series we're in. Jesus is the life and the light, or the light and the life, these two things. And so if you're not there already, if you want to turn to John 1. John 1, yeah, we've been here a while already, I know. So John 1, verses 4 through 13. So we're going to take a big bite today, right? A bunch of verses. It took us like two weeks to get through three verses. And today we're going to, this will be more of what it looks like normally, that we're actually going to take big chunks of Scripture and know it's not going to take us 18 years to get through the book of John at the pace we were going So in the first three verses of John, um, just if you remember, we're learning about way back history, eternity. We had the Word. The Word was before. At the very beginning, the Word was already there, existing, already being God, and had already been God for eternity, somehow as far back as we can think. The Word was with God, 
And the Word was God, right? Because Jesus is God. And Jesus, as God, created everything because Jesus is the Creator. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus, that Creator, as the life and the light. And so this morning, we're going to look at three areas to, to, kind to, to get to know this and understand this. And the first one is the revelation of life and light. What does it actually say about that in this text? And part of that is actually we're going to meet this guy named John. Very, very cool guy we're going to get to meet. And then the other two things we're going to look at is the responses to this revelation of life and light, which is rejection, unfortunately, and then reception. What does it look like to actually receive this light. So let's start by looking at Revelation. In John uh, 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, it's been a couple of weeks, so I just want to remind us about this writer, John. So John's a good writer, man. He's so good. I always use the word cute. Like, he knows he's a good writer, and so he'll use terms that are very poetic and have multiple meanings. And he doesn't do that to confuse us or, or use words that we don't understand or so that we have to figure out what they mean. But he's so good at the language. When he uses words that mean, have multiple meanings, he's meaning all the meanings themselves. Like, he's putting different dimensions into his writing. And so we'll see that with the life and the light, sort of. There's physical and a spiritual aspect to this. So let's look at the physical revelation of life and light. On the one hand, he is speaking about natural life and light. Because after all, this is what we've, talked, what we've looked at in the, in the first three verses, right? The Word has created. So the Word has created everything. And the Word didn't just create like inanimate objects, right? Just didn't create minerals and iron, copper, whatever it is. But he created life created a, a world that was already functional. You know, I always use the argument of, of the egg and the chicken. God created a world where the chicken was first. Everything came into life, into a fully functional world. And he also brought light to it. Just such, such a, a blessing, right? T to warm us up, to help us, you know, with our crops, to tell time. It just blessed us with this light and this life. And yet, John's goal here isn't apologetic. This is not apologetic to convince everybody to believe in creationism. That's, that's not his point here. That's why there's like a duality to it. He wants you to pers persuade you to believe in the person who created life itself and who is that light. And so in a sense, he's setting up the authority of Jesus, of the word as the creator. Everything came through him. And yet it's not only a physical revelation of light. Like the point of John speaking here is like, hey, I know who created light. But there's also a spiritual side to it. And so we have the spiritual revelation of life and light, which again, we see in those exact same verses. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. <clears throat> so in him is life, right? In the word is life. He created life. He sustains life. He is life. If the word didn't exist for a moment, we would cease to exist. But then there's this interesting expression, the light of men. What is going on there? What is the light of men? And I hope women here, you understand in this language that it also means women. This is not, you know, so please, yeah, nobody be triggered. This is absolutely all of us. But what is the light of men? I just, you know, every time I read that, I always just imagine like the old movie, 
uh, poster for the thing where like the light is coming off of, of the person's head. Um, and I'm not recommending that anybody watch that. It just reminds me of that. Um, but what, what is the light of men? And so what it is in the original text, right? There's so many meanings. And so it is the spiritual aspect of men. It is the consciousness. It's the ability to know. It, it is reason. It's what makes people people and not animals. This light that men have, no other thing in creation has. This light, again, being the intellect and the mind and the thing that makes a person a person is unique because the word can communicate with us. And that's the difference, right? This harkens back, right, just to the verses before and the logos and the reason and the knowledge and the way everything works and where life comes from. And he's saying men have that. You guys have that signature from God. You have that light inside of you that you can comprehend God. And then there's this subtle shift. <clears throat> I wish I could say I saw it, but I actually didn't until I read a book that pointed it out. And then I was like, oh yeah, I, I totally saw it. But there, there, there's, this <clears throat> there's this subtle shift in tense in verse 5 where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so up until this point, we've been looking backwards, like super far backwards, right? We talked about, you know, in eternity, infinity backwards. You know, the word was there, created. Everything is past tense. And then all of a sudden, it's the light shines. Like that word means that light is shining today. And so now we're finally caught up into today what is happening? The light shines in the darkness. But what is meant by darkness here? This is the first negative expression, right, in the, in the Gospel of John. What is darkness? Is it just a lack of light? And I would say no, it's actually a lack of right. It's a lack of righteousness. It's, it's a, a lack of people doing the right thing. And darkness is trying to destroy the light. Like we're thrown right into this battle all of a sudden from creation into this moment now where it says there's a battle happening. And so it doesn't say when the darkness started, but it's like, here we are in the present. Oh yeah, there's darkness trying to overcome the light. And so if the word is life and light, then darkness is evil itself. So creation is suffering this attack from the darkness. But thankfully it says here, darkness is not winning. And then another shift in the text. And this one I, th I think I is really obvious, and I think it's a very welcome shift, which is what we see in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so what we find here is the revelation of the life and light through John. Now, the first thing this does that I appreciate about John is that John gives us handles. He gives us handles to hold on to something. Because so far up to this point, man, we've been like nerd talk, right? Like cosmic, eternal, infinity on this grand scale. And then all of a sudden it says, you know, here comes John, little John, you know, in the infinite abyss of creation. Here's this guy named John you need to know about. 
John, who, who you know, is a human like us and in, in the span and the size of the universe is, is smaller than a grain of sand. But yet here he is, John. And so he gives us handles to deal with this information. Now we can hold on to something. How do we grasp this concept of light versus darkness and creation? And so through John, we're going to see how to interact with the light. What does it look like for us as human beings to interact with this insane high theology? What does it look like for God to interact with us and through us? And so what we'll see is that John shows us how God uses us. And so the important thing to know about John is that God sent him. God sent him. You know, and at this point, everything has been about the word, you know, just insane amounts of power. We'll see in the coming weeks, Jesus is going to come in the flesh. And yet God sends John. Like, this is a guy. This is a dude. This is like one of us. It's just, oh yeah, here's this amazing story and here's just this human being. And I want us to really just be conscious of the fact that when God communicates with us, that he uses people, that he uses us. Like, we're part of this amazing story of light versus darkness, God's story. We are his agents, just like in the Old Testament, all the way from the patriarchs to the prophets. God speaks to people through people. It's so amazing. So John is sent. John is sent by God. What is John doing? Baptizing? Right? I think that's the first thing I think of. Well, because, you know, his nickname is John the Baptist. So I imagine John is sent and he's baptizing. But not in the book of John, not in the gospel of John. The fact that John baptizes is of little consequence to the writer of this book. And we'll see this, how the, John, the writer of this book, views this John in verses 7 and 8. He came as a witness, not to bear witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so the writer of the book of John looks at John who was sent by God and says, this is John who testifies. This is what sticks out most about this John. This John testifies. He tells everybody he can about the light. We know from the other Gospels, he's always telling people, man, Jesus is coming, the light is coming, what are you guys doing? Like, kingdom's at hand, repent, change your ways. He was all about the light. You know, we take it for granted um, growing up, probably knowing about the name Jesus and Christianity. It's not insane to us, but can you imagine this guy, John, just baptizing people and eating bugs we know from other Gospels and just testifying about the light. Like, it's crazy. This guy, if he was on the street and we passed him, we'd be like, oh, he's just a crazy person, right? But he's crazy about Jesus, right? And what I love about John is he's so crazy about Jesus, he gets excited every time he sees Jesus, right? Whenever Jesus walks by, he's like, yes, oh my gosh, yes, guys, this is the guy. This is the guy I was talking about. That's him. I can't even tie his sandals. He's so much better. This is what you need to go to. This is the light. His whole life was about testifying. And he didn't just talk about the light. For John, it wasn't about, you know, doing evangelism and then just saying, oh, I checked off the box. I shared my faith. You know, God knows I shared my faith. 
But it says that he wanted to win people over, like that people would believe. He didn't want to just say the light exists, but it's like you should believe this light is so important that you should absolutely believe and follow the light. Now, this idea of witnessing, it may sound strange to us. I know growing up in church, like my grandma, she would go witnessing with her friends, you know. Um, but it's not a term we use anymore, right? I mean, we talk about, you know, maybe outreach or evangelism, but we don't really talk about uh, witnessing. And usually, you know, when I prepare a sermon, there's always a part that, that sticks out to me. <clears throat> you know, as I'm preparing to preach and I'm studying and I'm praying, there's always a moment where the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and says like, hey, James, you know, since, since we're, we're studying this and you're thinking about this, why don't you process this a little bit? Why don't, you, why don't we preach to you a little bit? And this was convicting because I know in my heart and my mind that I love Jesus. I'd like to think that my life, that people would say that that was one of the most important things about me. But what would, what would the writer of John say if he knew me? If he knew, like he lived among my time, if he, if he knew me, what would he say about me? And I don't know that he would say that James loved Jesus, like, or he testified about the light, you know, and I'm being serious, you know, he, he might just say, you know, James, yeah, that guy loved hockey. That guy loved Vespas, right? I mean, we know that about me. I know that about me. And that's fine, right? But that's not my desire. And so it's really convicting. Is my life really all about Jesus? Is that what people would say about me? They remembered most that I love Jesus, that, that I preach the word? I certainly hope so, but I don't know that that's the case. And so what about you? You know, the writer of this book saw you and knew your life. How, what, what nickname would they give to you? Like, they did this. Their passion was about this. What did you represent? What would it be? And I think it's still important because we live in a world that still needs the light. Right? This world that still needs the light of Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, I mean truly know Jesus, I know Gordon shared some pictures last week of kind of our concept that many people have of Jesus. But we have a secular world and education and media that's painting a picture of the church and of Jesus that is nonsense. It's absolutely absurd. And if I may push in a little bit with you guys, in general, I think the church, this has been our failure, is that we've taken the bait in those discussions. And so we've used our precious time to go online and argue with people. Our battle isn't a digital one. It's a spiritual one. Memes aren't going to set people free. It's going to be the light and the truth that set people free. We are Vanguard Bible Church. You know, we're supposed to be advancing the gospel in Bakersfield, right? Advancing the light. And so my hope for us is that all of our individual lives, we would show that light, that we would have that light and show others what it is and be able to communicate it to other people so they could fully understand it and come to the light. As a church, I think we need to be okay and content with the fact that we are not a megachurch. I've met with a lot of megachurch pastors the past couple of weeks and a lot of, actually, and it's not a bad thing. Like, I've met a lot of great guys who I truly believe love the Lord. 
but th- there's a disadvantage to that. It's to having a big place where everybody comes to. And I think an advantage of, of a church like Vanguard Bible Church is that we're not restrained. We can go anywhere. We can advance. We're not held to anything. We go to where the light wants us to go. And I think we should be content with that, that that's who we are. What we shouldn't be content with until, don't be content until people think of Vanguard and think of a church that testifies to the light. Until people say that about us, like, oh man, they're all about Jesus. That's all they do. That's all they preach about. Like, that, that's what they're about. I don't want us to be content until darkness itself says, oh, Vanguard. Oh, I hate Vanguard. Always preaching about the light and living in the light. And that as a church, we wouldn't be content until the light himself among us just looks around us and just thinks, they love me. They love me. I can't wait to spend eternity with them. But in the meantime, let us advance the gospel. Is this what you want? I know this is what I want. But what would the response to something like this be if we were a church that did this? And I think we have the answer here as we continue to read. There's only two responses to this. In verses 9 through 11, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive them. And so what we find here is rejection. And this is tragedy. This is tragedy. And this is why we must be a witness. This is why we must be a witness to this light. How so incredibly dark is this world that it doesn't recognize light? Or do they? In Romans 1.20 it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In these things they have been made, so they are without excuse." And so that's a little harsh. I mean, let's just say it. The word, God is saying that people don't have an excuse. They've seen the sun. They've seen light. We've all, it says that the light came to everybody. So in the physical sense, everybody has experienced the light. Nobody could look into the heavens or into our world and say accident. It's just not possible. Don't want to get into a conversation about that, but it's, it's just not possible. And even God says, yeah, not a valid excuse. Not a valid excuse, guys. And so how spiritually dark would the world be, must the world be, to not know when light comes? I was reading this commentary by Matt Carter, and he was talking about the fact that, let's say you were going into a dark room. Let's say the room was black, it was dark. You're taking somebody with you, and you turn on the light switch, and the light comes on. How many of us say, Oh my gosh, look at the lights on. Look at my my awesome electricity. Look at this. I have created light. Did you notice the light being on? Do any of us do that? No, because it's absurd. Who would do that? Of course. Of course the light is on. It's obvious to everybody. And yet, when we're talking spiritually, the world, Bakersfield, it's not obvious that the light has come. 
they still don't see it. And so they need us to testify. They need us to be a witness and say, the light has come. The light is here. It's here. And so in, in some ways, we do need to be that absurd and be willing to say, oh my gosh, how do you not see that this beautiful light is here? And so in these verses, what we see is rejection. And really, there's two rejections here. The first is ignorance, that they didn't know. That they didn't know him, right? Um, some translations is they couldn't comprehend. And so we're talking about head knowledge, that they, that they couldn't comprehend, which we know from Romans is, is God says, yeah, guys, that's not going to be a good excuse. <clears throat> and the reason for that is that there's a block, right? There's an intellectual block that doesn't allow people to understand or to see the light. The problem isn't always, as people will argue, well, people just haven't heard the gospel or don't know about Jesus, but that they don't want to know about Jesus. That block is there. I meet people whose literal identity is I don't believe in God. That's their identity. Is that someone who's looking? No, it's already, they've decided. Or I don't think it's knowable. And so it's not just a lack of knowledge like, oh, I guess they haven't heard. It's an absolute decision. And that's why God says they don't have an excuse. This is a serious judgment. God knows that they don't want to know, not that they don't know. The second is that his people didn't receive him. Again, tragedy. Oh my gosh. Israel, who had the Old Testament as we know it, the Torah, knew, knew the Messiah was coming. It says in Isaiah 9-2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And you can't get any more simpler than that, right? I mean, again, the light, like the light has shone. And so they were looking for the Messiah. So they said, right? And, it's, and the tragedy, their God who communicated with them came in the flesh and looked to them eye to eye, like face to face, their God and themselves as humans, and they still rejected him. They didn't receive him. And I, I know sometimes that can go to a dark place and we shake our heads like, oh my gosh, how, why would they do that? I wouldn't have done that. And... As we read, you know, Scripture, it says that this was a great benefit for us. So instead of shaking our heads and being, oh man, I wouldn't have done that, their rejection led to us, the Gentiles, being grafted in. This was the plan all along. I think what's interesting is it seems like for a moment that darkness thought it had won. Like, oh man, we, I, people, I got the people of God to reject God face to face, and darkness is celebrating, man. I think we got this. I think we won. And of course, God had other plans to bring us to the Lord and then to bring Israel to the Lord. So darkness is going to be really mad. Not only was the church founded and being built, but then Israel's going to come back. So darkness is going to be very upset and shaking its head. And then there's the fact that we could shake our head in pride about our spirituality, right? We are so spiritual. But church, let me ask honestly, seriously, do we have darkness in our lives? Do we have darkness in our lives? <clears throat> the darkness wants to put out our light. Like we have that light in us, we have that Christ in us. The darkness wants to put it out. 
and the darkness doesn't overcome the light, right? It doesn't. I promise you it does not. But man, can it frustrate us and trip us up and just ruin our day, our entire seasons of our life. And so this morning, in addition to feeling that we have to be a witness to the, in the world that's dark about Christ, about the light, I want us to look inward, be mindful and diligent about darkness that's inside of us. Sometimes, some of us, and I'm going to include myself for long portions of my life on this list, as a Christian, we have dark parts of our life, right? Dark parts in our life, of our life, that we hide for many reasons. And of course, guess, guess which area of our life frustrates us? Guess which area of our life depresses us and makes us angry and lose our cool and make us question our faith and our abilities? It's those areas where we hold on to that darkness. So what areas of your life have darkness in them? What areas of your life do we need to be praying about? What areas of our life should we bring the light of the word to? Here's what I can tell you from being in ministry as long as I have. Most people already know that dark area of their life, why they're hiding it. Because they know what the light says about it. They know why they have to hide it. We know why we have to hide it. It's because we know we will have to change, right? We will have to repent of something that, and that would make us very uncomfortable. And so what we do is exactly what Israel did and what these people did is we reject the light. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying like sanctification, it, it doesn't stop. If you think you're there, you're not. And I say that in love. Let us not reject this gracious light of Jesus in every area of our life, especially as we go out and lead others, right, and tell others about the light. Man, there's nothing worse, right, than a pastor falling and you hear about, always oh, had an affair for like eight years. What? No, it hurts our testimony, right? We can't testify if we're the darkness that we're saying that people shouldn't have. And instead, let us offer the opposite of rejection, which is reception. The story of the life and the light is not a tragedy. It does not end there. It's not bummer. It's not Shakespeare where everybody dies. No, there's actually, there's this miracle in the darkness, in, in, the, in the, the darkness that's overcome so much of the light of men and confused people and made people sin and reject God, even his own people. There's still these people who are being saved, who are being taken from darkness into light, and it's a miracle. And so what does this look like? In verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so in order to receive the light, we must believe in the name. Receiving is believing in the name. So what's in a name? What's in a name? Just saying you believe in somebody. Well, to John, he, he says this expression almost a hundred times in this gospel. So this is pretty important. And at this point in history, at the point in history that John is in, I don't think as much today, but maybe a little bit, someone's name represented everything about them. 
And so believing in the name of Jesus meant believing in absolutely everything about them, their character, their power, everything about them you believe to and subscribe to. <clears throat> we see this in 1 John 5.13, where it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, name of the Son of God. In Acts 4.12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so hear me, church, it is the name of Jesus that we are saved by. Like, it's the name of Jesus. I, I say this in all love and respect. If you have a concept of God or theism or you believe in a God or many gods, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus, God who is Jesus, that's going to save you. Just an abstract belief in a higher power is useless to you. Come to the light in the name of Jesus. And it says those who come become children of God. And so this name, this name carries the right and the authority to make children of God. Where does that authority come from? Well, we saw it in the first three verses. Kind of when you know you create everything that exists ever, you have the authority to do whatever you want with it. And so he could make children of light in this dark world. If you believe in that name, you will be born out of the darkness. Spiritually, you won't be born out of the darkness. And it seems simple enough, believe in the name, but even here, we know it's not simple, right? Because we engage people about this. Even here it says, you know, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not of the flesh and not of man. Why mention this? Why mention this? It means that you can't force your way into heaven. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how smart you are. And yes, a lot of you are strong and smart. Love you guys. But yeah, not enough to get into heaven. No. And so what's interesting is one of the expressions here, like this flesh and this desire of man in the Greek is talking about making children. So I won't get graphic here. I know this is a Sunday we have everybody with us. I'm so excited. Everybody's here. So that's to say we're not going to get too much into creating children and the will of the flesh. But God is saying, look, people meet, you know, like, a man wants to have children and, you know, he's like, I'm going to get the woman and we're going to make children and they do that and they are born. And he's saying, yeah, that's not how the kingdom works though. That's not how you're born spiritually. And it doesn't make sense for numerous reasons, but especially the fact, like, how can you be born spiritually by something you do physically? It doesn't make sense. You have to be born again spiritually. So it has to be thoughtful soulful, your entire being, your intellect, your reason has to understand. That's what believing is. It's not just saying like, I believe in Jesus, but that belief is spiritual. It is reasonable. You have decided in your mind, this name is above all names. This name has the authority to save me. And that is saving faith. And yes, your physical world will change for the better, for the worse, when you make that decision. But that's the gospel, right? And so the only thing left 
is to be dizzy. Be dizzy. And if you're looking at your Bible and like, I don't, we're not on the same translation. I don't see dizzy in my, in my Bible. <laughs> um, no. So there's this quote I love by uh, R. Kent Hughes, and he's talking about living as children of God. And he says, we should have a dizzy joy at our future as God's children should pervade all of our ways. Like, we should be excited about it, like dizzy excited, like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome, I'm going to like fall over, I cannot believe. You know, like when people win the lottery and faint, we should be dizzy with joy at this concept that we've been taken from darkness to light and that we're children of God now. It should be really exciting, and not just only exciting, it should pervade all of our ways. Everything we should do should be based on this dizzying excitement. Yeah, I just love that quote. And so those of us, yeah, who have received the gospel, received Jesus, the light, we should be the most excited people on the planet. People should see us and be like, what's up? What's up with those people? I remember being in Denver when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. And even if you weren't watching football, fireworks, everybody, and we were like up on the mountainside. We weren't even like in the town you could just hear a roar, right? And it's like, what's going on? Like, that should be the church. What's going on in that church? Why is everybody all loud? Why is everybody all dizzy? What's up with them? But that's what we're called to do. That's a great witness. And so we need to be a witness to this world in darkness, in Bakersfield. But also remember, as we come to the light, to use that light to penetrate our own lives becoming sanctified. Let God, the light, come into every area of our life. Don't hide it. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a struggle. And let me know if I could be there with you. But let's get through every area of your life with the light. Open up those dark areas and repent and let the light in. And then, yeah, let's go have dizzying joy and share the gospel with Bakersfield. And so as you go out from now on, whenever you enter a dark room, and you turn on the light. If you want to act excited, you can. Um, but just remember, you know, when you see the light come on or you see the sunrise and the, and the dark night ends, remember what's at stake with the difference between light and darkness. And that is life and death itself. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.com. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.